the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This morning we wrap up a series called Put the Hammer Down. A bunch of you have been here for the whole thing. Probably a few of you have missed several of them or or whatever. I'm not going to walk you back through, uh, but we will wrap it up at the end today. Um, But before I get started, I need to make a couple of quick disclaimers in light of current events. Uh, we actually plan these lessons and pray about them and, and, and months and months in advance. So this was the day we we're going to do this. This has nothing to do with the Freedom Convoy movement. <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. It's not for it or against it or for the Canadian government or against it or America. It, it's got nothing to do with it whatsoever. We're talking about trucks. We're talking about convoys. We're talking about putting the hammer down in the sense of acceleration, but it has nothing to do with that at all. Okay. We don't plan around politics and things like that. I just don't. In fact, if anything, it has to do with a song there, there back in the day. Anybody at least that was alive back in the 70s, how many remember a song called Convoy? You remember this one? Okay, it was supposedly by C.W. McCall, a country singer, but actually it was two guys, Chip Davis, who went on to found Mannheim Steamroller. Ever heard of them? Okay, he wrote all the music and was the mastermind behind that. And then there was a voice actor named Bill Freeze playing C.W. McCall, the country singer slash trucker. And you don't care about all this trivia, just me and Rick Ross and maybe three other people. But here it is. Somebody loved the ads that they were creating. They worked at an ad company in in Omaha, Nebraska, and they loved them so much. They said, y'all should make a real song. And it charted. So they tried again, and it charted even higher. And they said, let's pull all the stops out and do the best job we can. It became a huge hit that actually kicked over, kicked off this huge, like, CB craze. Do you remember that at the end of the 70s? It was just massive, and you couldn't go anywhere. Even in Papua New Guinea, when I was a little kid growing up, but granted, I was more aware of what was on the radio than most little kids were at the time. But I heard, I says, Pigpen, this here is a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. Are you with me? And I, I knew then that one of the meanings of put the hammer down was accelerate. And that's where we're going today. A couple, couple more disclaimers. We're not endorsing speeding. Or any other illegal or dangerous things, or uniting against the police, or crashing through toll booths, or any of the other really disturbing things that are in that song, listening to it as an adult and not just kind of singing along. In fact, the scariest part in the whole thing, and then we're going to get started, is in the middle. It says, well, we shot the line. We went for broke with a thousand screaming trucks and 11 long-haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microbus. And my question is, what in the world were the Christians involved in this for? <laughs> they shouldn't have been. That's just crazy. They were breaking the law. They were, they were destroying property. It was not anything that any Christian should have been part of. Pure and simple. Boom. Got it? Okay, enough with all the disclaimers. Let's hit God's word. This is what it means today. Accelerate. Put the pedal to the metal. Go for it. And before you do that, I need you to say these things out with us. Before you can actually accelerate and put the hammer down in the sense that God wants us to, you've got to make sure you're on the right road. Would you look at the person next to you? And if there's nobody right next to you, kind of look across the room, look back at me. I'm going to look out at the video. If you're all alone, look me in the eye. And if you're with somebody, look at them instead. Okay, here we go. Everybody say this to each other. Make sure you're on the right road. And for Christians, 
For Christians, that ultimately is Jesus Christ himself, right? Because he made no, he didn't hedge around this at all. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come so that you might have life, life to the full. Nobody else except through him. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So ultimately it's that, and yet for those of us who have chosen, who have, like we talked about at the very beginning, made that landmark decision, I will follow Jesus no matter what the cost, whether I get it, whether I understand or agree with it or not, if I know Jesus is leading me, that's where I'm going to go. Those of us who have made that call, we also know that not only do we just randomly choose Jesus, but he starts to lead us as individuals as well. Raise your hand if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. It's almost everybody, praise God. That's available to everybody, whether you've experienced that or not. But you got to know you're on the right road, and the right road is Jesus and wherever he specifically leads you, as well as where he's leading all of us at the same time. We got that so far? Throughout this whole series, we've been going back through the, the story of Moses. There's so much gold in that story. It's such a great powerful story. Last week, we looked at Exodus 4, where he finally got around to starting to do what God had told him to do. He put his family on a donkey, and they headed back to Egypt. And when they got there, he teamed up with his brother Aaron, and they prayed with the people of Israel, and they actually said, okay, here we go. God's going to start to save us now. We'll look at the very next verse of that in a second. First, I want to give you yet another quote from Craig Rochelle, another guy we've heard from a lot in this series. He says, living for the approval of people. Let me try that again. Living for the approval of people keeps us from the purposes of God. Choose purpose over popularity. Uh, Read that one more time. Pay attention to this. This is powerful. Living for the approval of people keeps us from the purposes of God. We see that so clearly in the story of Moses. He, as long as he was really caring about still being kind of a prince of Egypt, he, he spent 40 years and never made a difference at all. When he finally started to want to be seen as someone who was going to save Israel, but he was, more, he was more concerned with what they thought and his reputation than his real identity, he didn't really ask God what the plan was. He just waited in. He ruined everything for another 40 years. But when he finally submitted to the purposes of God, that's why we're still talking about him all these years later. Is this tracking? Reading these texts? Speaking of reading texts, let's go to this next one. Exodus 5.1, the next verse in this story. Afterward, after all that stuff we just talked about, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. The story is so important. It's actually repeated all the way through the scriptures. You, you see the story of Moses, not just in Exodus and the next couple verse after that, but it's repeated in Psalms. It's, it's repeated in the prophets. It's repeated several times in the New Testament. I'd like to read from the book of Hebrews here, which the writer of Hebrews actually points out that even though Moses didn't actually know Jesus, Jesus hadn't been born yet, All of this, in one way or another, was pointing to Christ the Messiah. You'll hear that in the text in a second. He says, By faith Moses, 
when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Do you see that? He didn't even know that he was choosing Christ yet, but he was. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Before we go any further, I just want to ask you a question. If you're following along on the sermon outline slash Bible study that we give you every time, this question is on there. Where is Jesus leading you right now? If you don't know that, just like Dad said at the beginning, you need to take some time and listen. Because I guarantee you that if you are a Christ follower, he's trying to lead you somewhere. He wants you to do something. The gifts you have, the opportunities you have, the weaknesses you have, the relationships you have, the struggles you have, the victories you have. He's, he's got something planned for you. Not all of us are hammers. We talked about that. But some of us are screwdrivers. Some of us have different gifts. The Holy Spirit gets to pick out who gets what gift. But metaphorically speaking, if you are a hammer, there is a nail with your name on it. Does this sound familiar? He's trying to lead you somewhere. He's trying to get you to go somewhere. And we need to ask that question. And if he's leading you something, here's the next thing you need to do. Look at that same person you looked at earlier. Tell him this next thing. Get, make sure we got it. Get your foot off the brakes, what we're going to say to each other. You ready? Look him in the eye. Here we go. Get your foot off the brake. Now, I do want to offer a disclaimer. Somebody, somebody, somebody shared this with me earlier this week, and I want to make sure that there is a claim. There is a time where we do what the Bible calls waiting on the Lord. There are times when Jesus will tell you, I want you to do this. Watch for my signal. Okay, but that's a totally different thing. Waiting on the Lord, if you'll work, work with me with the whole trucking analogy for a second one more time. Waiting for the Lord, your foot is on the accelerator, but you're watching him. Your eyes are on him. Your ears are listening to him. You're, you're not putting this off. You're ready to go the second he says go. But I believe what, what God is trying to tell most of us this morning is that most of us don't have our foot on the accelerator. We have it on the brake. We know where he's telling us to go, and we're saying, not yet. I'm not ready yet. And that's a completely different thing. You need to get your foot off the brake. There will be times when you need to wait. There are times when the last thing you want to do is rush in like Moses did in the middle of his story and try and do it your way just because you need to be doing something. That's dangerous. You need to be following Jesus. As it says in that song, Jesus has the front door. That, that, and by the way, if you don't know what that means, we got the front door, come on. That means he's the lead truck. He's the one out in front. He's the one that everybody else is following. Are you with me? You've got to be following Jesus. That's, that's it. That's it. 
And if he's telling you to go and you've got your foot on the brake, you've got your foot in the wrong spot. That's what happened to Israel the whole way, rest of the story. They got through the Red Sea. It's a wonderful story, but on the other side, they're free. And they almost instantly start whining and wishing they could go back. They finally get to the promised land. And instead of saying, here we go, now we're going to get it. Finally, we're going to get to experience what God has been promising for centuries. They said, there is no way even God himself can help us beat these people that own the land right now. There's no way this can actually happen. We need to just go back to Egypt again. So for 40 more years, they wander around aimlessly in the desert until they all die off. Does this make it sound familiar? You guys, you guys, you've heard this story before. But the story keeps on going, and it stays just as depressing. Finally, Joshua leads them, and they get into the promised land, and they still keep hitting that break. Then finally, there's a king, dumb, and a couple of good kings-ish, and then... The kingdom splits and it gets really bad and they have to go into exile. And then on the other side of exile, they start going home and there's some good points. But even that doesn't work out the way that they hoped it would because they keep hitting the brake. They know exactly what God is telling them to do, but they don't ever really do it. Ever. Maybe for a couple minutes, a couple weeks, a couple months. They never really become the people that God asked them to become. This morning, brothers and sisters, I'm not condemning you. I am asking you to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you've never had your hand on your foot on the accelerator. Get your hand off of that, by the way. That's really dangerous. You've never had your foot on. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. But I'm telling you, if your foot is on the brake in any area of your life, the moral boundaries you are driving, the specific good things God wants you to do, get your foot off the brake. I hope you're hearing that. I hope you're hearing that from the Spirit of God. There's two great books in the Old Testament that kind of tell one big story, Ezra and Nehemiah. It used to be actually one scroll. Here's some more trivia nobody cares about, but I'll just share it with you anyway. It used to be one scroll. Somehow it got split into two. It's, it's, it's one great big story that tells about three different people that finally decided to get their foot off the brake. One was a guy named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, he, he, everybody knew that the temple had been broken down. Everybody knew that. But everybody's like, well, one of these days, I guess we'll rebuild it. And Zerubbabel finally says, I can't wait any longer. Who's with me? We're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to rebuild the temple. And everybody knew that nobody had been following the rules, the rhythms that God had created for them. But finally, a guy named Ezra just couldn't take it anymore. He said, that's it. I'm heading back to Jerusalem and we're going to start reinstituting the Torah again. And then a guy named Nehemiah. Everybody knew that the wall was broken down. But Nehemiah finally said, I can't take this anymore. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to rebuild the wall. And I love this moment in Nehemiah chapter 6 when a lot of people are trying to distract him. And they're saying, why are you doing this? You need to stop. You need to come down here and talk to us. We got a problem. We need you to come down here. Get off the wall. Come down here. We're going to try and work this out. And he says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it here and go down to you? 
When you know what God wants you to do, there's going to be several voices that tell you to stop. There's going to be a lot of voices that are going to be telling you to put your foot on the brake. And the scary thing is one of those voices is you and me in our own head. And the scariest one to me is not the devil. That's another voice you'll hear sometimes. But the, the scariest thing to me is a lot of times the people that are telling us to get our foot off the accelerator and on the brake are some of the people that we love the most. Some of the people that love us the most. People that we respect and actually care. People we know to be followers of Jesus. But they're scared for, about something. They're worried about something. They're worried about us. They're afraid for us. And for whatever reason, they're saying, hey, you need to slow down. Why don't, we, why don't you come down for a second and let's talk about this. Let me tell you something. If you're in a convoy with Jesus, don't pull off to the side of the road for anybody. You keep that hammer down. We don't have time. We don't have time to stop for anybody, not ourselves, not the people we love, not the devil, not anybody. We've got to do what he's called us to do. That's what James is talking about when he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Who, who are we deceiving there? Yeah, nobody else. Just like when we talked about don't be defensive. The only person we fool is ourselves if we even fool ourselves. We don't fool God. We don't fool the, fool the other people. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Again, Jesus has the front door. Come on. You with me? Jesus is the leader. The ultimate truth is always Jesus. But I'll take it wherever I can get it. One of my favorite quotes is Winnie the Pooh. I'd like you to actually read this one out loud with me. This is really smart. He says, say it with me, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. Isn't that deep? It's true. My dad told me a story, a true story, about somebody who really struggled to, to do what they knew God was leading them to do, but did it anyway. He said several years ago, there was a, a, a guy who had been praying for this other man in his town for a while. This guy, the, the guy, the, I guess the protagonist, the hero of the story, physically and emotionally wasn't that big as strong of a, of, a, of a person, but he really cared and he really believed in God and he really cared about this other guy who was a big imposing guy who was known to be a bully and not a follower of Jesus. But he started praying for him. He knew this guy needed Jesus. And then this guy, he's at a revival and the preacher challenged every single person not only to pray for these people, but he said, maybe you're the person who should actually go and invite them to know Jesus. And so the man goes and he knocks on the guy's door. The guy comes to the door and I don't know what he was expecting, but the guy starts laughing. And he starts making fun of him. And he starts belittling him. And he starts making fun of the guy and Jesus and everything else that this guy cared about. And the guy just bursts into tears. He's just kind of a, kind of a, 
he was vulnerable and he just, he just didn't even know what to do. And that, that makes the guy bully him even more, make even more fun of him. And it just continues. And finally, the guy, through his tears, he just said, I just wanted you to know that I pray for you every day that one day you will know Jesus. I just had to tell you, I just had to invite you. And he turns around and he walks off. Totally defeated. But you know what happened that night? That bully came to that revival, gave his life to Jesus, and became a lifelong Christ follower. Because that guy finally got his foot off the brake and did what he was told. So that leads us to the last thing. We're starting to come around the last bend in this long journey. You ready? You can say it. Look at the person one more time. Same person. I'm looking out there. I'm looking at you. Here we go. Put the hammer down. And you know what that means today, right? Go for it. If Jesus is taking you somewhere, go for it. Stop waiting. Stop wondering if it's really him. Go for it. If you see where he's leading you, go for it. I love how God puts these little clues about his nature and life and truth everywhere, even in nature. Have you ever heard of this thing called inertia? Okay, inertia, I, I think everybody knows, but just to be clear, here's what it is. The, the things that are not in motion tend to stay not in motion. Okay, it takes a lot of effort to move something that's not already moving. There's also this thing called entropy. You've probably heard about it. And that means if something is moving, if you don't stay at it, if you don't keep moving it intentionally, then somehow or another, it's going to kind of automatically drift into slowing down. Things that are organized are going to drift into not being organized. Things that are moving are going to drift into not moving little by little unless you're intentional about it. Does this make sense? But there's also this wonderful thing called momentum. And there comes a point when once something does get moving and you keep gas in it just a little bit, there comes a point where the easiest thing is to keep moving. It actually takes more effort to stop than it does to keep moving. And that's what's available to us when we actually put the hammer down. When we stop pumping the brake, stop asking so many questions, stop looking, listening to the people we love and our own hearts and the devil himself and anybody else who's telling us to slow down and not follow Jesus. The second we actually just start doing what he told us to do, it's hard, but eventually it's actually harder to stop. And that's available to every single one of us if we're obedient in this direction. I told you at the beginning, this is not about a literal convoy of any kind. But if we were going to ally ourselves with any kind of a real convoy, it would be this organization called the Convoy of Hope, who do use some trucks. But really, in their words, I love their wordplay, they say they have a driving passion to feed the world. They actually team up with churches and businesses and governments and anybody else that will help them do that. And sometimes they physically drive the food there in trucks and sometimes they fly it or deliver it in other ways. But they're, they're an organization that feeds people. What I love about this is they know what God has called them to do. And they're happy to have anybody in the convoy with them if they're going to help them do what Jesus called them to do. But they're not going to just randomly join in with anybody else's convoy. You hear that? 
And that's, that's what we're called to do. We're called to follow Jesus and invite anybody who's willing to come with us to come and bring them along. We can't get distracted by all the other causes, whether we consider them worthy or not. In the next several weeks, if you come back, and I hope and pray that you do, we're going to be talking about how some specific ways that we know that God is asking us to be a transformative community more than ever. And if you get the visual of, uh, joke of this truck, we could be friends. We could be friends anyway. But if you don't, don't worry about it. I'll just say we're supposed to be a transformative community. <laughs> Got a story, a scripture, and we're going to wrap this thing up. Here's the story. My grandfather, Harry O'Brien, worked the same job, the same machine in the same Pennsylvania steel mill from the time he was 17 until he retired in his 70s. Uh, what he lived for, though, was global worldwide missions, youth ministry in his local church, and making sure that his own children Love Jesus. My mother, my uncle are both lifelong followers of Jesus. Countless other people have been affected by his ministry. And it's around the world. He knows now because he's with Jesus. But we won't know till we get to heaven how many people he impacted, even though he spent day after day after day just working in a steel mill at a machine. But there was one person for sure that I know he affected even there. There's a, one of his bosses was a guy named Joe Farkas. Joe Farkas came up to him one day and he says, Harry, I've been watching you for five years. Those of you who are out there in the random whatever workplace you're ever at, you don't know who's watching you and you don't know why. But they see whether you've got your foot on the brake or the accelerator. They're watching you. And Joe finally just told you, he says, Harry, I've, I've been watching you for five years. And he said, all the believers in Christ that I know about, it's more a game to them. They're just wanting to get forgiven for the bad things they keep doing. They're not actually about doing the things Jesus told them to do. He says, but I've been watching you and you're actually really about this. I've never seen you compromise once. I've never seen you. He goes, I want you to tell me about your Jesus. Well, he did. And fast forward a couple years later, they spent decades, Harry O'Brien and Joe Farkas, as elders working side by side in their church, affecting the lives of hundreds and thousands around the world because they became partners. You never know who's watching you. You never know who's watching you hit those brakes or hit that accelerator. You never know. But it's available to you and it's available to me that if we stay at it, Things can happen that we never even imagine. Would you read this scripture out loud? I think this is really familiar. Everyone should know this. But let's say it out loud together. And then we're going to wrap up, make some choices together. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. One way or another this morning, one last time, 
God's calling every single one of you to put the hammer down. If you've never given your life to Jesus at all, you've never said once and for all, Jesus makes the choices, not me. I need you to do that this morning. If, if, if you're just filled with bitterness and anger at the world or somebody else and you just, you're always living trying to defend yourself or defend Jesus or Christianity so much so that you're never actually just following Jesus anymore, you need to put that hammer down and you need to just give it back to Jesus and start over. You can do that this morning. If there's something specific Jesus wants you to do and you're not doing it, you've been riding that brake too long, this is your day to jump on board and get busy. And if you're already doing it, hallelujah, praise God. But let's press that thing to the floor. You with me? Everybody say it together. Then let's sing. Put the hammer down.